outcomes in the next decade. Our youth are extremely promising. In our youth, we have a pride that uh, wasn't allowed to be there previously because of the residential schools generation and, and era. Um, our people grew up largely without pride of being Indigenous. Even I grew up in a, at a time where my mother was very afraid for me to uh, disclose and divulge that for fear of how I would be treated or the experiences I might endure. And Welcome to the Blue Skies Political Podcast. I'm MP Aaron O'Toole, the Member of Parliament for Durham, and I'm so fortunate to be joined by another leader from the Durham region today, a friend. Chief Kelly LaRocca is the chief of the Mississaugas of Scugog Island. She's been chief of that First Nation, one in the GTA, since 2013. She was a counselor before that with the Mississaugas of Scugog Island since 2008. Before that, she was an accomplished lawyer doing insurance defense and class action litigation. So she's been in uh, the courtroom and in the litigation process, and now she's brought those skills to her community, to her First Nation. And that has helped with the modernization of the Great Blue Heron Casino and its new partnerships with OLG. It's helped finalize the settlement of the Williams Treaties for the Mississaugas, particularly of Scugog Island, but of many communities in Ontario. And she is an expert on building partnerships between her First Nation, other levels of government, and other partners. And that's, I think, a key part of reconciliation. And she does all this while being a great community booster and an amazing mom to two young kids, a daughter and son. So welcome to the Blue Skies Political Podcast, Chief LaRocca. Thanks for having me, Aaron. It's a pleasure to be here. It's great to, to have you. In fact, I remember our first meeting, you were a counselor uh, with the First Nation, and I was running for the nomination. And reconciliation was important to me. And as I was running before I was elected, I wanted to meet some of the leaders, because Scugog Island, I grew up on, uh, for part of my childhood, but it's had a First Nation going back uh, before Canada, and as part of the Williams Treaties. So why don't you give a little snapshot to our listeners of the First Nation that you uh, are the leader of, and a bit of your personal journey to becoming chief? Thanks, Aaron. Um, yes, so I represent the Mississaugas of Scugog Island First Nation, as you've said, and uh, proudly do so. I've been here uh, well, I grew up in the community as a, a teen year, as a teenager in my later teen years, but uh, born and raised most of my young life in Oshawa, so uh, the deep south of Oshawa, very proud to be from there, and um, my parents um, brought, brought me back to uh, home to Scugog First Nation, uh, where my mother grew up, and um, they were invited to move back to the community in the early 90s uh, to run a uh, an economic development project that the band uh, was engaged in at the time. It was an art gallery they were opening in the town of Port Perry. So I came here and, and lived part of my youth in the community. And that's that experience is really what has uh, anchored me um, to back in the community now and, and really made me come full circle. So I'll explain. Our, our community is um, on the northern tip of Scugog Island, adjacent to the town of Port Perry and in the Scugog Township. And we 
have uh, 248 members or citizens in total. Um, out of that, we have about 71 members living in the in the First Nation territory or reserve community and their families. And then the, re the remainder of our membership is uh, kind of scattered across Canada with uh, big pockets of our membership being in the city of Toronto and uh, Niagara, as well as North Vancouver. And um, so it makes for interesting community consultations. <laughs> I'm often uh, going across uh, um, the GTA and, and across Canada to meet with our people and, uh, and represent their interests as best as I'm able. Uh, so that's our constituency. And uh, as I've said, I, I came here as a youngster and uh, really, really glad I did. My grades went up uh, two letters uh, when I moved from Oshawa to Scugog Island. And really, I think it's because uh, there was a, a sense of pride instilled in me uh, to have my lineage uh, be traced to this place uh, and these people. And my mom was very proud of that. So she, um, I think moving me back to the community kind of introduced me to our culture in a way that I didn't really have access to. Not, um, not because of the geographic separation, but also because uh, being a First Nations or Indigenous person was not readily accepted or, or celebrated in uh, the general community. Or, uh, so my mother really wanted to uh, change that narrative and, and boy, she did. So I'm very glad to be from here. And uh, I, I was, I think I graduated Port Perry High School and so it would have been 1994. And then I went to the University of Western Ontario uh, and took a philosophy degree there. And uh, I just knew I wanted to always go into law school uh, I remember my parents did a house deal, uh, well, the house deal they did in Oshawa, and I saw my dad getting ready for the lawyer to come over, and it was like the, you know, the queen was coming over, they were getting all the fine linens out, and, and they were getting drinks ready for this man who came over and signed these documents with them, and I said to my mom, who is that guy? And they said, well, that's our real estate lawyer. And I said, well, anyone that my dad gives that much respect to, that's what I'm going to do in my life. So that's what prompted me to go to law school. And uh, so I went to the University of Windsor uh, and studied law there. And um, then I practiced in the in the city of Toronto and, uh, of course, wanted to live in the big city and have that experience. And I'm sure glad I did. My, uh, my uncle, uh, Gary Edgar, was the chief back when I was in law school. And he really urged me to get that experience out in the mainstream and uh, just see see how um, you know uh, people are living in in um, mainstream Ontario and and the rest of Canada. You know, he really encouraged me to get out and get some experience in the mainstream. So I did that before returning home. Uh, actually, it was my mom's illness that brought me back, but uh, I ended up realizing that this is where my heart is. So I'm uh, very proud to serve our community. Well, that is an amazing biographical sketch and a journey. And you mentioned, I was going to ask about mentors, but I can actually hear a few there. Obviously, your uncle, Chief Edgar, uh, but also your mother was a counselor um, or involved in, in the First Nation. So the, the political leadership side, there are the influences. And talking about your father and the lawyer, perhaps that was the, the, the legal influence. And so are those important mentors in, in your route to, to becoming a leader? Absolutely. Everything I, uh, I do, uh, it's funny, I just recently did a talk for International Women's Day and um, with, for the region of Durham. And everything I do is because of my mom, I have to admit, you know, and I'm proud of that. I, I she was a fabulous um, bridge builder. She was 
great with people. Uh, I worked with her in retail in South Oshawa. She used to sell fine ladies wear. And I always said, that's the place I really learned how to become a lawyer and a, and a community leader was selling uh, retail clothing to uh, to the, the business women, uh, particularly in the late eighties, you know, when women were really uh, entering the workforce at a higher rate and needed those types of things. and. Uh, watching my mom sell this stuff to people and and do it in a very honest and open fashion was uh, I think what prompted me to get involved with the community and um, just working with the public you really have to you either learn that you you love people or or maybe you're not so great at that but uh, I think my love of people has just kept me in public service for this long and I hope it'll keep me here for many more years. Well, I hope so as well. You're you're approaching almost a decade uh, as as chief of the Mississaugas of Scugog Island. I've seen your approach uh, and your leadership in action, uh, right to the point of of us uh, doing work on on infrastructure, you know, working with other levels of government, including Scugog. But also, we had the honor of even judging grilled cheese contests together in the downtown to support some of the small businesses. You're, you're, I think, in one way, um, a chief that has really built build bridges. And you mentioned you got that from your, your mom, building bridges, reaching out in partnerships. You've been able in your 10 years to, to do a number of them. And you were involved in the final settlement of the Williams treaties. I'd love, I'd love your thoughts on that because the Williams Treaty, which affects uh, Southern Ontario, goes back to 1923, but the final settlement didn't come until 2018, and, and you were involved in that. And uh, what was that like as a, as a fairly new First Nation leader? Honestly, that was the highlight, of, one of the major highlights of my uh, tenure as chief and, and serving the community. I, I just feel so... Um, privileged to have been a leader at that time when all that exciting work was going on and uh, that that our people trusted me to take part in that on their behalf was a very big deal and you feel a real sense of honoring um, honoring your family and your ancestors that took part in that process because as you say it was signed in 1923 and honestly it's been under dispute ever since it was signed um, <laughs> and in different ways uh, that has surfaced. So, uh, you know, back in the early days, our people never stopped harvesting, uh, hunting and fishing, and and uh, they uh, did so in spite of how those Williams treaties had been interpreted by other governments. And so there were a lot of, um, you know, obviously difficult situations is an understatement, but there were difficult situations to contend with, such as uh, dodging MNR officers and literally being shot at by them and or being prosecuted for, for engaging in, in uh, those cultural activities on behalf of your community. And so, you know, there was that. And then, of course, they tried to meet it uh, at the table. I think it was three separate occasions. There were negotiations that took place that failed. Um, and again, timing is everything. You know, every, everyone comes to a point where they're ready to sit seriously and talk. And, and I guess we just hit that point in time when when the other governments finally took us seriously. Uh, we had to go to court, unfortunately, but uh, I think a lot of the evidence that came out in the in the trial is what prompted uh, finally uh, the other governments to want to sit down and have meaningful negotiation talks. And, uh, and the chiefs and councils and communities were ready as well, of course. And it just, it was a coalescing of, of people that were ready to come together and 
um, and finally hash it out uh, as well. You know, I, I don't want to be partisan um, because, you know, I think all of us have roles and parts to play regardless of political party or community uh, which you're from. But uh, I think, you know, it, there were two liberal governments in power at the time. And so that allowed a certain, I guess, uh, framework to take place. We, we negotiated a framework agreement and entered into a very aggressive um, timeline for negotiation. So it uh, just all, all factors were aligned, I think. And, and we were, we were ready as a nation to, to look at that uh, from all sides and, and get it done. I am, you know, I have concerns around uh, maintaining the integrity of that final settlement agreement. And so there are, um, there are definite things we need to look at in order to um, follow the spirit, the intent and the letter of that final settlement agreement, whether you're a province or the federal government or, or, uh, or a First Nation that's been signatory to those agreements, we all have roles to play and I'm hoping that things like MZOs don't, don't undercut the, uh, the meaning of the constitutional protections that were that were fought and, and negotiated for and finalized. So yeah, time will tell. And, uh, but so far, uh, you know, so good for the most part, but for those, those M's and O's, which are concerning, but we'll, we'll get there and hopefully we'll keep, keep hashing. Good. good. Let me ask a question because when you did get, you talked about that alignment federally, provincially, and of course with first nation leadership at the time, when you got to that settlement point, you know, almost a century after the Williams treaties were kind of rushed at the time and, and there wasn't proper uh, negotiation. What did individual chiefs like yourself do? Did you update your council or, or members or were you, were the various chiefs of, of the communities covered empowered to basically sign an agreement or was there some sort of uh, take back that you took to, to your communities to, to run the final terms by them? Though, though my title in the process was, I believe it was called Portfolio Chief, so there were seven chiefs on behalf of the signatory First Nations, but they uh, gave me sort of license to go and, and attend those negotiation sessions as the chief's voice at that table. Um, there was, of course, a team of negotiators as well. Um, I was like one person at the table, and we had a very significant uh, and prominent leadership team that took on the negotiation of of the Williams Treaty's final settlement agreement. And just to plug their great work, uh, Carrie Sandy was the lead negotiator. She's from Boatsleigh First Nation, Mel Jacobs of Curve Lake, and uh, Jada Turan, who was a young lawyer um, in Toronto who took part and what a what a career move uh, that was for her. And I know she was very grateful to work with us and of course myself taking part as well. But the chiefs of the individual First Nations, you know, they all have their own um, autonomous processes that they would follow within their communities. Uh, for Skugog, uh, they probably all, you know, were quite similar, but for Skugog, we would basically take back uh, monthly reports from the negotiations process to our people and have our monthly community meetings. Uh, I would go back quarterly to our community, and I still do, where we have open, unagended council meetings. Can you imagine doing that? No <laughs> agenda. Anybody can just walk up to the to the mic and ask you whatever you want. And the meetings last for, you know, four or five hours. But I'm really proud that we do that. And of course we have the, the ability to do that as a small community, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, that's basically how we handled it. And then we had a ratification process where there was a certain threshold to be met and each of the communities had to sign on and pass that process in order for, for the final settlement agreement to be signed. 
Uh, well, thank you, because that's a lot of background people wouldn't know if non-Indigenous, uh, how you were sort of updating the community. Uh, Four-hour meeting with open mic reminds me of my caucus meetings, uh, which which were were very different when I was the leader uh, at the front <laughs> of the room, I'll tell you that. Um, so one, one thing I've really res- admired and respected about your leadership, Callie, has been this ability to build partnerships. So you had this unique role in the settlement of the Williams Treaties, but um, Locally, I, I have relationships with, with other leaders and other orders of government. And in Scugog, there was a, a dispute over the services being offered on Scugog Island on reserve lands. And um, the first time I heard much about it was when a previous mayor had just written the newspaper uh, and almost with an ultimatum type approach. Uh, that was several years ago. But just recently, you've concluded a 20-year services partnership and agreement with the township of Scugog, um, a partnership organization that will give certainty to you and your commercial operations for the First Nation, but also contribute to the long-term growth and, and development of Lake Scugog and the overall tourism in the area. Tell, tell me about that partnership, because I really... I think it's one of the first of its kind, certainly in Ontario, maybe in Canada, of this nation to nation or uh, nation to government township agreement that that builds a real win for both sides. Give give us some perspective how that went from letters in the newspaper to a twenty year partnership. Sure. Um, yeah, I'm really I am proud of that agreement, and it is it is one of the first of its kind. If not the first in Canada, it's, um, I have to say, as a First Nation, we're a very fortunate one. We have economic development in the community that has enabled us to build an economy over the last 20 years. And it's still a an economy that's very much in its infancy, really, by comparison to mainstream standards. So uh, that, that really is what enabled the agreement from our perspective as a First Nation. And not all First Nations would have the ability to engage in that way. But setting that caveat aside, um, yes, we have come a very far away from uh, what was March, it was May 10th, 2018, the day I had uh, my son Eli. And uh, I was in hospital, I had just given birth to my son and my phone went ding. And I thought, oh, gee, I'll check that Eli's asleep. <laughs> and had him in one arm and I grabbed the phone and I looked and I went, uh-oh, I read a letter that we were being cut off of all fire service uh, for not having entered into a into an agreement uh, for that. So I thought, well, gee, that's a bit harsh. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> can we back pay it if you kept the service going at least while I'm in hospital? But anyway, uh, you know, putting aside that flip remark, but I, I, uh, I thought, okay, well, what are we going to do here? Clearly, we need fire service. That this is very concerning to my community. And then I thought, no, Kelly, think back. You know, this is unconstitutional. They cannot deny your community fire service. It just it simply won't permit it. So I, I thought, okay, let's let cooler heads prevail. So I, we sent a, our council um, together sent a, a letter back saying, you know, this is an unconstitutional event that you're proposing. And and so setting that aside, we trust that you'll be delivering fire service until we come to an agreement. Obviously, coming to agree, an agreement will mean we will back pay for anything uh, served as of May 10th, 2018, uh, until the agreement is reached. Um, we're going to honor that, of course. And um, 
you know, you're just going to have to negotiate it out with us and continue to provide services as you always have. And we'll, we'll settle up once we, once we reach that. So, um, the previous mayor and council um, sent that letter and then the council shifted somewhat, although um, uh, the current mayor, Mayor Bobby Drew, was part of the previous uh, iteration of council that, that did send that letter. But, you know, I think I think Bobby and I, uh, you know, talk, we talked a lot and tried to unpack why things went that way. Um, and I think historically our community had a, a relationship with the town that hasn't been very good. And I think it's um, indicative of a lot of the relationships between municipalities and First Nations across Canada. And um, there's a there's a bit of a, la a lack of um, cross-cultural understanding. There's uh, a lack of um, community historical understanding and agreement about how the communities came to form and, and the contributions made respectively. Um, our, our previous councils, as I said, they did not have a good relationship with the town. And so we thought, well, let's try and fix this and let cooler heads prevail because we had done so well since the advent of the Great Blue Heron to offer charitable donation support to individual causes, to organizational causes, but also to the causes of other governments. We gave 1.2 million a year to the township and, it, and I think well over 500,000 to the uh, region of Durham every year since the advent of the casino uh, over 34 million dollars now to date that we've provided to the local community um, through our casino donations and those are that's a charitable donations program that has survived the the old charitable model of the casino to date even in the commercial context and our community uh, was 100 in support of that of their mm -hmm. own volition so i'm very proud of that and so that social capital that was built between our respective communities I thought we can't lose this and Bobby was very much in agreement with that and um, wanted to find a better way so they you know we thought okay well we'll have patience on both sides we will uh, take the time we need of course COVID hit so that didn't help yeah. Uh, yeah. and delayed matters which in some respects maybe was a blessing uh, you know one of the silver linings of okay COVID was is awful and was awful certainly in the beginning still is but at least it allowed us some space to um, meet with our respective councils and try and come up with something that everybody could be happy about. So we were we had economic reports prepared respectively and of course the municipal accounting standards that that were being applied miraculously were very different from the township's perspective from ours and yet both applying the same standards. So we thought okay rather than nickel and dime each other what do we each want to achieve and so the township wanted increased uh, and improved tourism on, uh, on Lake Scugog. They wanted to beautify the, the township and the waterfront, or sorry, the town and the waterfront. And uh, we wanted to protect lake health. Uh, that's part of our wastewater expansion project that's ongoing right now in the community. We thought, okay, let's, let's figure out a way to protect the health of Lake Scugog and beautify the waterfront and uh, try and um, create a natural filtration system for Lake Scugog for all the runoff that comes down from the town. So together we realized, okay, well, that's a collective priority of ours. So how can we each uh, marry the services agreement to that? So we kind of threw out the economic reports and we thought, okay, yes, we're mindful of them, but how do we um, 
come to a mutual agreement that benefits both of us. And, and so that's how we attached uh, the donation, which we knew we were being called upon for donation support to the Lake Skugog Enhancement Project. And we thought, well, we know that's being called upon. We know we have an outstanding services agreement. Let's combine the two and we'll do this donation in exchange for um, you know, fire roads and EMS. So that's how we came to it. And I'm, I'm really, um, I'm really grateful we did. I, I think that uh, it's a collective win. I, I think it's uh, it's allowed for people to really see what makes Scugog Township and particularly the town of Port Perry unique. It's our lake. It's the mm -hmm. fact that they have a First Nation adjacent to the town and that works in partnership with them. Mm -hmm. and, you know, we're part of their community. They're part of ours too, right? That the lake knows no bounds. So we we share in that and that. Uh, that's a collective, I, I guess, uh, feature of our identity that needs to be protected and celebrated. So well I said. Did that. Well, congratulations. And much better to read the success in the newspaper as opposed to uh, letters from the town to the First Nation. It, it was nice to see, uh, as you said, a collective deal that benefits everyone. And in my first speech in the House of Commons as MP, I talked about the three communities I represented at the time, Uxbridge, Clarington, and Scugog. Scugog has its name from an Indigenous word, and there was some debate on whether Scugog means skunk or waves leaping over a canoe. And you may recall, I said to you, Kelly, I'm going to go with the waves leap over a canoe <laughs> version, because that sounds a lot better for tourism, both for the Great Blue Heron Casino um, which you guys operate, which is a destination within that the whole township benefits from. But you're right, the heart of the community, uh, the township of Scugog, Port Perry, and the First Nation on Scugog Island is the lake and is that Indigenous heritage. So there's now a 20-year deal between the two orders of government, and that's due in large part to your leadership, uh, not giving in to, to frustrations and building partnerships with Mayor Drew and, and Council. So congratulations. Thank you. And I, you know, I do have to say we are pretty proud to be from Chicago Island, which is the Anishinaabe Moan word for, for this island, it, which is mean, means skunk. But yes, um, you know, there is some debate around the, the, the linguistic, you know, the, the genesis of, uh, of uh, the definition of of um dog, so we'll we'll leave it at that but yes it's yeah, yeah. is the word for skunk and we believe that's the root of of how the island got its name well i and i've seen uh blue herons when i lived on skugog island i live on as you know on fralix beach as a kid just down past the first nation and it was much more uh idyllic to choose great blue heron as opposed to the skunk casino on skugog okay. island <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah, we're also known for Great Blue Heron, so we'll leave it. <laughs> there. Okay, so one other partnership I want to briefly discuss, which is totally different, but also uh, a federal institution. You've carved a, a partnership or a relationship with the Canadian Nuclear Safety Commission. Obviously, um, I'm really proud of, of Darlington in the south of Durham that helps generate some of the greenhouse gas emission-free electricity for our province. Talk about that deal, where it came from and and uh, and how that's another example of a partnership. Well, um, as, as you know, Aaron, there's the cost of constitutional duty of consultation and accommodation that exists for other governments and and uh, First Nations. And, and it really, I think, in large part, kind of umbrellas the relationship between our respective communities and other governments. But I, I um, 
I thought we know there's a lot of work that's coming up in that sector and we knew uh, we wanted to um, be a part of it because that work is going is taking part on our treaty and traditional territories, uh, treaty territories of uh, Treaty 20 and the Gunshot Treaty uh, and uh, concern of the Williams Treaties First Nations, but also the traditional territories of the Mississauga Nation which of course is the cultural affiliation of peoples that existed prior to um, Canada becoming Canada, right? Mm -hmm. um, so when we say treaty and traditional territories, that's what we're referring to. But um, we thought we wanted to solidify and, and really promote that uh, relationship of respect and, and, and um, communication that needs to, that needs to continue uh, otherwise. Um, there could be a lot of animosity and lack of understanding of what's going on in the various uh, projects that are happening in the nuclear uh, sector. So we we thought, okay, let's let's see if we can enter some kind of formalized relationship, um, so that we're part of really the the development of energy policies, um, and um, basically wanting to wanting to educate. Uh, persons involved in that sector about what we hold dear, about what we value, and hope hope that that is reflected in any um, any changes to our creation of uh, energy policies going forward. So we, um, we just thought we'd enter some kind of more formal relationship that will also engage our community in, in the prospect of any kind of procurement opportunities that might come up for work that's being done and uh, say that... Um, you know, giving us opportunity to create joint ventures and things like that. So I'm, I'm really, um, you know, I'm excited by the prospect. I like having a formalized relationship where we continue and commit to come back to the table and keep those discussions ongoing. So really, that's what it's about at this point. It's a relationship in its infancy, but uh, one that I know um, the regulator wanted to wanted to highlight, knowing that a big part of their upcoming work is taking part in our treaty and traditional lands. And so I'm grateful for that. And, and uh, I just thought it was a, a mark of wanting to engage with us in good faith. Yeah, no, well, listen, it, it's, it's an example of partnerships and you don't get to partnerships without relationships, as you said, and they can come from a, a constitutional duty, but it really is finding that collective interest and, and benefit Um what, what I found encouraging, I'm going to be, uh, I think, this spring going to the PDAC conference in in, um, in Toronto, the Prospectors and Developers uh, Association of Canada, basically mining and resource. And I used to go as a lawyer and, and look at benefit agreements with First Nations, which have come a long way. And years ago, as a politician, I started talking about environmental social governance, ESG, and our resources as a country, and I always called it ESGI, environmental social governance and indigenous partnership, mm -hmm. um, as an extension of the constitution. I was blown away this year that I looked at the invitation for the sessions from PDAC, and this, there's a session on ESGI. So I can't claim I coined it was the first one. But it's just great to see partnerships on the agenda between First Nations and private sector, government agencies, other levels of government. Is that something that I think your generation of leadership as a First Nation leader um, 
you're you're putting reconciliation in action through these economic partnerships. Do you see that being something we need to see more of? Well, um, to be honest, and I, I don't want you know I always want to be optimist and what an optimist and what's to come, but I do I do think I would be remiss if I didn't say we feel, or at least speaking for Scugog, we felt that um, industry has left us behind until very recently. We haven't been on the agenda. And so um, consultation wasn't respected, accommodation was not respected, that baseline constitutional duty was not respected. And so now we're starting to meet with each other and as you say, form relationships. And I think that is the starting point. Um, but there's a sense of things going forward with or without us. And that's certainly how it has been. And so it's not a case of if you can't beat them, join them, because I, I, I think that is a little too, um, um, I don't want to, again, I don't want to be pessimistic, but uh, that's a little too easy and a bit of a cop out. I think we need to engage. And so always in the hopes that we'll be better understood and that, you know, meaning better cross-cultural understanding, but also that we can have real impact on the way that policies get formed and projects move forward. I don't, I think economic reconciliation is uh, one of the ingredients to overall big R reconciliation as an umbrella. I know reconciliation is a fully loaded term. I know it's overused quite often. <laughs> Um, but I think economic reconciliation is is absolutely required if projects are going to be going forward and um, people, companies, other governments are going to be benefiting off of the resources uh, of this country. First Nations absolutely have to have a part in that, in, in the benefit of that. But that's not to say that it should be, and this is obviously, I don't want to become partisan on this issue, but it's not to say that that we should be just whole scaley developing the planet and sitting idly by and that that's that's going to form part of reconciliation that 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 developing the planet without uh, a measured approach good planning and indeed respect to indigenous peoples is like that that has to be required in order for things to move forward if if that's what reconciliation is going to mean it can't just be cutting a check to first nations it has to be truly engaging them and yes, allowing the ability for a First Nation to say no. And so that's, I think, where yeah. we're at right now. Yeah, I agree. I think a rising tide lifts all boats and the the partnership has to be central to it. And so you talked about um, partnership uh, to look at potential supply chain or I've, I've spoken about uh, Indigenous supply chain uh, uh, requirements for some of the federal tendering and things like that. I, I think we're getting there. I, I do agree for decades, there was uh, consultations were, were looked at as a, a, as a necessary step to just get through. Now I do think they're, they're seen as what we'd call the military force multipliers. It makes the overall goal better. And if you look at the situation with Russia and Ukraine, Canada could be a global leader in how we develop resources, how we build partnerships, uh, how we respect the environment and find that balance. Because in a lot of cases, um, 
many of our competitors for these resources are countries that will not respect any of those mm -hmm. those things. But that that duty to consult and and uh, is important. And uh, with UNDRIP or United Nations Declaration now in place, this is part of uh, part of Canadian law, part of how we need to operate. So you've been wonderful with your time. I want to end with this because I'm an optimist too, and and I want to get back to an optimistic, optimistic, looking forward ending to this great podcast. Where do you see your community in another ten to twenty years? You're coming to almost a decade as leader, and you're still a a a young First Nation leader in Canada, building these innovative partnerships and 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 deals. Where do you see the Mississaugas of Scugog Island in another decade or two? So, firstly, I'm I'm youngish. I mean, I'm yeah. 47. I'm youngish too. <laughs> <laughs> We're not that far apart in age, actually. I think I, I'm you're a little younger than me. Yeah, you know, I, you look a lot younger than me. But I hair dye. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> the um, where I, where would I like to see our community? Well, I'd like to see us continuing on the. The, the path, the strategy that we're on, which is, of course, firstly, concentrating on our people, better health outcomes, better education outcomes. We have, um, we have a lot of PhDs <laughs> and, and engineers and um, all kinds of skilled trades, have, you know, skill building in our community. I, I'm so proud of of uh, what we've managed to achieve in education, I still think we can go farther and we will. It's just time, right? So I, I'd like to see us continue on that path of investing in our people. And we are, and we're committed to that. So I know it'll just, it'll happen naturally and unfold over time. I'd like to see our community uh, a little more uh, autonomous and independent, meaning um, able to rely on itself, um, not only from um, different um, from an energy prospect, but I, I do think um, um, I, I think we can do more in the area of food security. We've been, um, you know, I think it's no secret that farmland is getting bought up in the region of Durham and and it's disappearing. And and I think that uh, Scugog First Nation has an opportunity to try and become a leader in in the food food security. Um, aspect and and really take care of ourselves and and the local community through uh, the growing of good uh, of good food and uh, we're looking into what opportunities we have there and certainly we have some farmlands on the island and I think we can really uh, do a, a better job I think that's the next phase is really looking at food security and we've we've felt that as a community before COVID but COVID has only highlighted the need for that um, so we're looking at that. Uh, I, I want to see a lot of our gaming issues improve. Uh, certainly, I think um, iGaming has lent, led me major concern. Uh, it's an ongoing issue. Uh, the province is, has opened the doors. Now that horse is let out of the barn. So I think we need to really uh, focus on our, our energies on gaming and preserving the GBH so that we can continue to do the good work we do in the local community. Um, we have uh, an economic de development limited partnership. So I wanna see more, uh, more independence built for our community in terms of procurement and getting, getting more opportunities for joint ventures and things for our people to get, get working out in the mainstream and private sector. I, I really, uh, I think we're just gonna stay the course on our, 
on our building of infrastructure. We have clean water now that December 15th, uh, 2021, we lifted our drinking water advisory. So now we have clean water. We're working on wastewater for our community. Uh, I see there as being a, a potential if if we could just uh, be optimists. I see, I see a real potential for us to service the island with uh, water and wastewater. If in fact the feasibility studies come, come out in the way we hope, um, we could be a major service provider to the island if that was what was desired by, uh, by the island community. Uh, and if not, then, then we'll focus our energies elsewhere. You know, there's lots of opportunity out there. And I think our, uh, our First Nation could be a leader in, in many different respects, but I just more of an autonomous, uh, self-sustaining community. I think that's what our members want. Uh, we have the skills, we have the capacity, we have the health. Um, certainly we're not devoid of health problems and concerns that First Nations share across Canada, but we're working on that steadily. And again, it's a, it's just an exercise in time. And I think uh, I think we're going to have a lot better outcomes in the next decade. Our youth are extremely promising. I, I think we have, uh, um, in our youth, we have a pride that uh, wasn't allowed to be there previously because of the residential schools generation and, and era. Um, our people grew up largely without pride of being Indigenous. Even I grew up in a, at a time where my mother was very afraid for me to uh, disclose and divulge that for fear of how I would be treated or um, the experiences I might endure. And, uh, and um, you know, my father's, uh, that's where I get the last name, LaRocca, that's from my dad. So from you know, growing up half Italian Canadian, that that allows you to walk in in both worlds, and so that's kind of a privilege I had. I, ironically, and 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 I'm not proud to say that it's just the way it was. My mom was very afraid for me to speak about being Indigenous, and so I grew up not having as much connectivity with my Indigenous culture as I would have wanted. And so moving back to Skugog really gave me that, and uh, I have a firm. I feel a firm base base and foundation for leadership in the community, but also uh, I'm, I'm in a cultural journey of sorts still, and my people respect that because we all are in that, uh, in the Indigenous community, kind of dipping our toe in the water of culture and trying to figure out how we fit. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so our youth have that in them now. They're already proud of that. So they have something that even someone of my, you know, I'm fairly young still, as you say, and, and so Th those youth have something that we didn't have even as kids and I'm really excited for them because the fact of being Indigenous is already going to be something to be proud of. In fact, it'll just be matter of fact for them. Mm -hmm. They'll have a yeah. deep innate knowingness of who they are. and They're going to be so far ahead of us and what we're uh, talking and concerned of today. Uh, they'll be looking at different issues that are so far ahead of us, but uh, I'm excited for them in that respect. Well, and they have a wonderful role model to look up to in you as chief. And so I think um, that was great vision you expressed for uh, the Mississaugas of Scugog Island First Nation. You started by talking about the importance of the people and some of the economic projects, but ending with the young people. Uh, I think that's the sign of a true leader, thinking about where uh, you want the community to be in another decade or two. And the partnerships that you've already uh, trailblazed, including that 20-year services agreement with the Township of Scugog, shows that your First Nation is already a leader and I think will continue to be. So thank you, Chief LaRocca, for blue-skying your partnerships, economic reconciliation, and your own personal leadership journey with me today. 
May I add one thing, Aaron? Of course. I really, I think that COVID has reminded me our community, you know, needs to keep caring about each other. So not only within the First Nation, because now we have economy that's just starting to be built and we have good health, better health outcomes, better education outcomes. The internet, I think, silos people. And it's and it's been a blessing during COVID, of course, we can do this on, have virtual meetings and things. But I do think we just need to have a focus of caring about people again and realizing that we still need each other. And that goes the same for the Scugog First Nation community, as well as the larger, wider Scugog Township and region and, and, and so on. And I know it sounds a bit hokey or trite maybe, but I, I really think uh, people need to remember that we, we need to keep caring about each other. And that's the only way we're going to be able to develop partnerships as we've highlighted today in the podcast. So I really uh, I thank you for, for thinking of me and having me as a guest. Well, well said. I look forward to uh, an end of virtual events. In my year and a half as, as an opposition leader, almost everything I did was virtual. And it's not the same in terms of connecting with people, whether it's on the Main Street in Port Perry or uh, I've had the good fortune of attending your powwow a few times uh, on, on the island. Uh, we need one another and we need that interaction. So very well said. And thank you again for your leadership um, within uh, the First Nation, within Durham and within Canada, Kelly. Thanks again. Miigwech. Thank you very much. Miigwech. And thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Blue Skies Political Podcast. I'm Aaron O'Toole, and it was very special for me today to have another leader from the Durham region join me today to talk about examples from our part of the country that actually serve as an example for the entire country when it comes to building relationships, building partnerships, as the Mississaugas of Scugog Island have done. Canada's future will only really be reached, that potential we have as an incredible nation, if we are on the path of reconciliation. And if we tap the incredible opportunities that come alongside these partnerships with Indigenous peoples, with small communities, large communities, and leadership comes from doing things that haven't been done before. So we've explored a little bit of the economic reconciliation piece today on the Blue Skies Political Podcast. Let me know your comments. Let me know if you have any questions. You can find Kelly and the Mississaugas of Scugog Island First Nation on the internet. And make sure you come and visit the idyllic shores of, I will call it Lake Scugog, not Lake Skunk, because uh, it is the prettiest little corner of Southern Ontario. I'm Aaron O'Toole. Thanks for blue skying this important issue with me today.